Hello and welcome to the Brand Education Podcast. We're excited to bring you Higher Education's very first podcast dedicated to brand. This podcast is all about brand, marketing and reputation. Each week we'll bring industry trends, big ideas, innovation, insights and creativity to inspire change makers within the sector. I'm Zeenat Fayez from the Brand Education and today I'm joined by Professor Guy Littlefair. Guy is the Pro Vice Chancellor International and Dean of Faculty at Auckland University of Technology. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the importance of aligning leadership vision with strategy and how universities can work together to solve the societal issues we face today. Kia ora Guy, welcome to the podcast. Kia ora Zeenat, it's wonderful to have the opportunity to um, talk to the Brand Education podcast and humble to understand that this is the very first one. So I um, I hope hope I do you justice, Sina. Can we start with an overview of your academic leadership career so far? As you said when you introduced me, I'm currently the Pro Vice Chancellor International and um, Dean of AUT's, or the Auckland University of Technology's largest faculty, which is the Faculty of Design and Creative Technologies, which um, covers everything from engineering, computer science, art and design, communication studies, as well as um, a School of Future Environments, which houses construction management and, and architecture. So a very, very large and diverse faculty. Um, I've been in, in those roles for almost five years. Previous to that, I was at Deakin University in um, Victoria, in Australia. Uh, I served as the head of School of Engineering and then the Dean of Engineering. And then my final role at Deakin was Pro Vice Chancellor for Industry and Strategic Partnerships. Um, Prior to that, I was also at at AUT as head of engineering. And um, what seems to be quite a long time ago now, um, before 2005, when I left the UK, I worked at Southampton Solent University and also worked at the University of, of Southampton in various leadership roles, more around sort of research leadership. I, I, I ran some research groups um, as well as being a, an academic. So I guess I've had fairly senior university experience for coming up to 15 years or so. I could tell from your accent, it's, it's a bit British and a bit New Zealand, um, so it's, it's changing. Yeah, it's slightly messed up my accent now. <laughs> Obviously, have, having lived in New Zealand twice for 10 years and six years in, in Australia, the, the British accent sort of is slowly disappearing, I think, yeah. but it's um, it's pretty much a hybrid these days, I guess. <laughs> so I, I hope the listeners can uh, interpret what I say okay. <laughs> no, absolutely. So you've had quite a diverse career, um, and now you're at AUT. I'd be interested to know a bit more about um, how your university is aligning brand with the university's vision and strategic plan. Like, is it an isolated exercise or is it something that the university leadership team do with the marketing departments and the international teams? That's a really interesting question. Uh, and it, it reminds me, actually, when, when I was interviewed to come back to AUT, I, I asked the vice chancellor a very, very similar question because I'm aware that strategic plans in some universities sort of sit on the shelves and gather dust where other universities, they really drive the metrics and the KPIs for all of the leadership team and the university more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that the strategic plan at AUT, which is Directions 2025, which was developed in 2017, obviously quite a, quite a long long-term plan. Um, 
many things have have now changed as a consequence of the pandemic and all of the rest of it. But it is a strategic plan that the the university is very much behind. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a, quite a youthful university, um, obviously based in New Zealand's largest city, mm-hmm. which is in normal times very accessible to the rest of the world, particularly Southeast Southeast Asia and the Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. So we very much have aligned the aspirations of our strategic plan to what we wish to do both domestically and internationally. Has, has it been successful, that alignment? Well, this is where it gets complicated, of course, mm-hmm. because the pandemic has, has changed so many things. It was quite an aspirational plan. Um, key measures around such things as increasing the numbers of percentages of international students, increasing our our research student cohort, um, as well as improving equity for all learners. Um, So I think that we've still got some way to go. And we've recently, the university has recently appointed a new vice chancellor. So it will be interesting to see where that journey takes us with with respect to a to a strategic plan. So I guess in summary, you know, we've we've got a robust strategic plan. It's a strategic plan that everyone has universally bought into. I think it's paid a dividend, but not in the way that we thought when we first mm-hmm. put it together. Yeah. So in terms of um, with with COVID and the international percentages, what does the university do to kind of shift its approach? Um, on, on the reliance of that? Have you taken measures to, to adapt to that? Well, we've certainly tried. Um, you know, this this side of the world, so when I talk about this side of the world, I'm, I'm really talking about Australia and, and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, this side of the world, we, we were very exposed to the numbers of international students. Mm-hmm. So some, some universities um, have uh, had in 2019 over 30% international students some even more than that and um, I know from from my own experience um, in Australia some some schools had over 60 percent of share of international students um, the sudden sort of turning off of those students has had significant impacts what we've done rather what we did at AUT was um, focus our activities much more on recruiting onshore international students. Mm-hmm. So perhaps, you know, um, perhaps listeners won't necessarily realise, but our high schools in New Zealand have many, many international students who come here to study um, for their high school. Mm-hmm. Many of them finish in New Zealand and head off to to the UK, to America, to Canada, to Australia to complete their tertiary study. So what we did in in the middle of last year was really changed our approach, spent a lot of time working with international students in high school Mm -hmm. and encouraging them as much as possible to experience tertiary education in New Zealand rather than thinking about going home or going to other countries. All of the universities in New Zealand as a consequence of COVID, have increased their domestic student cohorts. Mm. Some of that is as a consequence of people being being made redundant. Um, some of it's around um, a, a growth in domestic students um, more broadly, mm. anyway. Yeah. But but I think that you know you and I have talked about this before. 
when we think about international students, it, it's not just the impact on the universities, but it's the impact on, on the city. Yeah. And we've certainly seen a reduction in the number of students um, in and around Auckland mm-hmm. um, has changed, changed the nature of, of the city and the community, really. I can imagine, like, I mean, if 30% of your cohort was from international students, it's, it's probably made a huge impact on the economy over there. Oh, it, it, it definitely has, yeah. Um, you know, in, international education in 2019 in New Zealand was was our fifth biggest export, yeah. um, $50 billion exercise. Um, that that includes all, all of the um, spend of, of international students. And typically international students spend three times what they do on fees whilst they're studying here. So um, the Auckland, the AUT Auckland City Campus is very much in the heart of the city and those international students would be spending spending their dollars in the local cafes, in the supermarkets, and also many of them would be working in, in hospitality. And at, and at the moment, many of the business owners that I speak to are, are, are really noticing that they're struggling to get staff because we have significantly fewer numbers of international students so mm. yeah it's changed it's changed the nature of, of things very much do you think that with the current situations i mean if they don't improve what's the kind of what is the plan for the future like could you see virtual campuses taking over the physical campuses is that the kind of something that the university is thinking about if things don't change yeah there's there's a number of things happening so um some of the universities in New Zealand um, decided to set up offshore study centres. Um, that was really through partners, existing partners they already had. The AUT approach was slightly different. We, we decided not to do that, but we um, decided to stand up a number of programmes in um, online, online only. So not exactly a, a virtual campus, but the ability to support students studying, studying remotely. Mm. Um, those courses in the first instance were mostly around our faculty of business economics and law, um, but the outcomes for students were, were, were good mm-hmm. and the demand was there for other areas. So we've now introduced um, more offerings across the university, particularly around engineering and around around computer science. But it's still really just a, a short-term solution to what could be a, a longer-term problem mm-hmm. in that many of the, because we're a university of technology, many of the programs that we offer are very practical. And it's very difficult to get that practical experience and exposure to skills through a, a virtual campus so we're obviously working on solutions to that and seeing seeing where we get to yeah. I, I must say personally um the six years i had working at deakin university has been tremendously valuable in many ways but one of the ways is in the current situation here here in auckland um deakin university has had an, a, a virtual campus for a very long time and I was instrumental in setting up some of the engineering programs. So, you know, I, I have my own skill set, which I think has been been useful in this regard. Mm-hmm. What does the future look like? Well, it's really difficult to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's safe to say the the world has changed. The world of higher education has, has changed. Yeah. Um, we don't yet know what it's changed into. We've got to get 
as close to possible to our customers, to those international students to understand what it is they're actually seeking and how we can support them mm-hmm. in the development of their own education. I agree. Um, something quite interesting, actually, because I know that you've been on both sides of industry and academia. Um, so can you share a little bit more about like some of the lessons that you might have learned from, from that, you know, in terms of building partnerships or what, what could future program creation look like or is there anything that you can you know add in in terms of what the industry can add to the academia element i have um worked in industry on an on a number of occasions as a as a practicing engineer and a and a manager and a leader Mm um i'm sort of stuck in well not stuck's the wrong term but (laughs) i'm in the university sector now until i retire i suspect i believe perhaps the biggest thing that i've been able to take across is sort of understanding who our customer is yeah. and also understanding um, where the market opportunities are. Mm. So what I've noticed over my career in, in the university sector is that the pace of change is, is now increasing um, a lot more quickly. Yeah. Um, traditionally, we've had long established programs that get, get tweaked but what we're now seeing is is demand for courses and programs which follow follow certain trends in in industry and one of the hallmarks of of what I've done and what I've tried to bring to to AUT mm-hmm. is understanding what it what the industry needs are understanding exactly what it is that that businesses need mm. so that that means as much as possible our graduates when they leave us are able to go into industry and, and quickly make a difference, quickly make make a, a contribution. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I suppose, the alignment of education and skills. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, traditionally, I used to think that universities were very much about education, but mm-hmm. more and more what employers are seeking is a, is a broad skill set too. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is sort of have a hybrid approach where we give a great university education and also support with skill sets being developed along the way too. I agree because I always thought education was well higher education was an education at the end of it you'd get a degree and now it's it's not enough to just have a degree Um, you know you need skills you need to be able to go into industry and it's become quite difficult and I think it's brought this new conversation into to the realm which is um, you know are you equipping graduates for jobs whereas HU was never meant to equip graduates for jobs. They were just supposed to be there for them for educational purposes, to teach them, um, you know, learning. That was the outcome, right? It wasn't a skills-based kind of outcome, was it, before? And I think the conversation has quickly changed over, over the last kind of, I would say, a few years or a decade, you know, since skills have changed. That's right. I've I've definitely seen, seen a shift. Um, and I think it's actually a shift for the better, and I think that shift has come come about for for many reasons. Mm. You know, some of the rhetoric around the, the value of a university education, I, I think, has helped help shift. Mm. I think also um, the job job market, gen- generally speaking, um, it's been a competitive job market for for a number of years now, and I think that that's fed back into how universities approach the development and and delivery of 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 their courses mm. also you know the the advent the advent of, of key key technologies you know we, we look at smartphones and and 
other devices. And I believe that employers are looking for more of those skills to be able to embed and support support their own businesses. And where do they look to? Well, they obviously look to the graduates that they hire. And one of the things that was quite interesting, I mean, you call them your customer, um, but it's, it's kind of looked down upon that term in, in higher education. Mm. You, know, you call them a learner, you call them a student. We don't ever call them a customer. Um, so that in itself is a kind of a, a shift from you know becoming as a learner student to becoming a customer to better understand their needs I, I do refer to um, students as, as customers I, and and I think that it's important for the university sector to to understand who the customer is mm. um, it's not as clear-cut as the customer just being the student yeah um, you know speaking about this side of the world um, in Australia and New Zealand, you know, student domestic places are still very much supported by by government funding. Mm-hmm. So some some of our customer base is certainly government. Um, also, you know, as we've just unpacked, employability and employers they're also too a, a customer. And um, when I've mentioned this before, someone commented actually don't forget that the future is actually also a, a customer of ours. So keeping an eye on where the future is going and, and how, how we can support it. The, one of the primary reasons that I talk about students as customers is because associated with that is the importance of customer service. Mm. And again, thinking over my academic career, I think the the focus on the student experience has changed markedly and it's really important that we drive the best student experience we possibly can and I don't know how we can do that without thinking about customer service and delivering what we need to in terms of a high quality education to those students so ultimately my view is that that they are a customer, one of our customers, perhaps a primary customer. Yeah, I know, I agree. And I think um, understanding their needs and, and their backgrounds and their diversity in your student bodies, you can start to, you know, learn what, what they, you know, what what their needs are and how can you better serve them as, as, as an institution. I sometimes find that, um, you, know, you know, the leadership teams, do, do they think of them as customers do they you know will they want to serve them as customers that's the kind of question that i've heard come up but hasn't really been addressed because i know that you know people see them as learners but never customers but i think there's a huge taboo you know in the sector where they don't acknowledge that and they don't communicate to them as customers and you know the whole journey in itself the after after service they kind of get disconnected you know then they become alumni but you know when you have the beginning of a journey of any kind of sector or any retail you know you go from the beginning then you know with digital marketing nowadays you're able to communicate with the customer continuously you're having a two-way dialogue whereas i feel with higher education i don't know what your thoughts are on you know how do you create that dialogue when they first come on to when they continue to study and how they can become lifelong customers. Like, I don't know if, if there's anything that universities could be doing around that area of um, service or if, it, if it's even being considered. Well, um, certainly, um, I'm just trying to think 
when it would have been it 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 would have been around 2010 for me mm. that was really the first time um, I was in a university and we were talking about the customer journey mm. so the customer journey in in a university sense is that very first engagement with a potential student with with an aspirant if you like mm. right the way through to post graduation when as you say they they become one of our one of our alum mm. and having a joined up system and a joined up approach which supports that customer mm-hmm. um, right the way through the journey is is incredibly important and when we first you know have contact with with an aspirant that may well be you know someone age 14 or even younger when we go and do a a school visit yeah. and cap capturing their information and then providing them support in terms of their guidance along the way where they wish to commit to do tertiary study and what the options are Mm -hmm. and where that will lead them post-graduation is very much an important important piece of of what we do. Mm -hmm. I'm also, of course, very conscious of the fact that we're in a contested market you know very much students do have choice where they study the, the standard of education in in new zealand is is very very high all of our universities rank in the top top three percent of international universities so um that results in a very competitive market and understanding what our brand is yeah. and understanding the essence of a brand yeah and where the alignment then post-graduation for the alum to that brand, I think is a, is a very important piece. Some universities have unpacked that route really well. And, you know, the ones that sort of spring to mind are, are many of the US universities where there's a huge amount of pride and people wear their university badge long after they've, they've left and, and give back in different ways. Mm-hmm. Not quite so common this side of the world, but it's certainly something that is being developed and AUT is is making some good steps around around our alumni network and the connections, the ongoing connections to our to our brand and, and what we stand for. Absolutely, because I think there's a huge disconnect between um, the university brand and the essence of it and what it means to those students even after they leave the institution and that loyalty that that needs to remain. Um, and I, I think the only way you can do that is if you understand them and know who they are and you know what they want and what they want to see after they leave the institution. In terms of leadership then, um, do you feel that higher education truly reflects the pool of diversity of students and communities in, t- in terms of the leadership skills? Do you feel that they understand diversity and inclusion? Yeah, that, that's another very, very interesting question. Um, I'll, I'll I'll give it my best shot to answer it. Um, I I think that you know universities are in some ways just large organisations, and and I do believe when you look at large organisations, mm. the diversity in the senior leadership team and on the boards do not generally reflect our, our stakeholders particularly well. Mm. Um, having said that, I do believe that there's good awareness that there is a disconnect between the diversity of the leadership team and and our student cohort Mm -hmm. and obviously um, many universities engage with their student community in different ways Mm -hmm. so um, as the pro vice chancellor international i i have a monthly meeting with our student union 
representative who supports international affairs. Mm. I hold that meeting in um, in conjunction with our head of student services. So we're constantly getting feedback on what are the positives and where are the challenges and where are the issues and where are the things that, that, that we need to work on. Mm. Um, the other thing is that Auckland's is a very, very diverse community. Um, we have, you know, some very affluent areas of the city and some more deprived areas of the city. We're a university that's very much about about inclusion and we purposely set out to um, encourage students to come to AUT who typically wouldn't consider tertiary study as as an option. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, what we're trying to do, what we endeavour to do is to provide an excellent higher education along the way too. So I've sort of used the term that's fairly common in the US around inclusive excellence. That's really about striving for excellence, but being inclusive along the way. Mm. And I, I believe that we're making some some good headway, but there's there's a lot more that, that we need to do to support our communities who would really benefit um, from the opportunity to study in higher education. No, I agree. Uh, the only reason I brought that up was because um, we were recently talking about how um, universities are very international and sometimes, you know, they don't communicate well with their stakeholders in China, you know, like translating your marketing comms or your brand from one region to the next, um, just copy, copy and paste style, as opposed to really becoming culturally aware of, of those cohorts and those stakeholders and, and their languages and how to communicate with them and creating that brand essence with each of them, um, which really builds, you know, the institutional reputation o- over a period of time. So I think there's a huge disconnect in that space, but it was great to hear, you know, your, your comments on that. So to, to kind of finalize, um, what are some of the kind of key initiatives that you have planned you know, at AUT um, around, you know, education, brand, reputation, um, and and just generally over the next couple of years? Well, there's there's lots of things that, that we've got on, on the go. So I'll, I'll just um, summarise a few of them. Um, from an international student perspective, obviously we're, we're eager to welcome international students back uh, physically on campus. Um, and I think that's important, not only for the university, but as I spoke about earlier, Im- important for, for the city. Um, so there's a lot of work being done on that. And, and I ig- acknowledge your points that I think all too often it, it's easy to cut and paste and just translate into a different language and feel that you've adequately ticked the box. What we're actually working on now are in-country, mm. permanently based in-country people. So um, having... Dedicated representatives in China, in in India, and other parts of Southeast Southeast Asia. That's certainly the direction that we're heading mm. because we understand the importance of having someone who understands the culture, mm. is fluent in the language, um, and also is is in in the right time zone. That's going to make a huge difference to us. Yeah. Um, more more broadly, obviously, um, we've we've had to learn a lot going through the through the pandemic and through the lockdowns in terms of delivering a high quality education in a different transmission mode in, 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 in a different way. So using online tools. And I think where we're currently heading, thinking about when things 
turn to having more time on campus. It's really understanding what's the best of both. Mm. So even students who, you know, um, love coming to campus, many of them would benefit from having material that they could um, get engaged with outside of being on campus. So, so we're looking at the digital tools. We're going through a change of a learning management system here at AUT, which is going to pay a big dividend and is going to help us in, in that regard too, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done, we've had to do some work around digital equity. Mm-hmm. So going into the lockdowns last year, the rapid lockdowns that we faced and having to move to an online provision. Mm-hmm. Many of our students didn't have the tools available, so they didn't have um, modems at home. They didn't have digital devices at home where they could study. So we did a lot of work last year in supporting students who couldn't get access, and we gave them, loaned them, leased them permanent um, p- permanent solutions for that. Mm-hmm. That's something that we're going to continue with mm-hmm. because it's not just about doing that during lockdown it's doing that to support all of all of our learners from various different different communities Mm -hmm. um the other thing is as as i alluded to earlier we've we've got a new vice chancellor coming Mm -hmm. so that's going to move the university in in a different direction no doubt so Mm -hmm. everyone is really looking forward to, to to that opportunity to continue to support aut on the on the sort of rapid journey it's been on since it was established as a university in in 2000. So lots of things for us to work on and lots of things to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, but absolutely as a organization and a leadership team, we're up for those challenges. Yeah, I think that sounds like an exciting um, year ahead. Um, you know, when you talk about digital equity um, and you know digital itself and how everything's now become kind of hybrid, um, I was kind of watching this episode around metaverse and, you know, a whole kind of universe around virtual reality. Wondered what your kind of thoughts for higher education around that might be, you know, do you see that being included within curriculum or within your campuses in, in the future? Or, yeah, it would be just good to kind of hear your thoughts on something like that. Well, sort of thinking about about the future and how we should as a sector be accommodating the future absolutely i I think that there's not been enough focus on um, ar and vr and the tools associated with that in terms of helping students to to be successful Um, i suspect we'll we'll see more of that and that's that's important and i think the whole digital space is incredibly important but i do also think that you know our undergraduate students who leave school at at 18 um whilst that's going to be key for them they're also seeking that that social exposure they want that that group of learners around them so you know i don't see generally speaking that we're going to move completely away from the on-campus experience and there are many courses of course which don't lend themselves to um, being delivered completely remotely so where I see things going, it's it's doing it's doing more mm. um, to support all of our learners, and it's really about trying to meet the student where where they are. Mm. That's how I put it. So yeah. where they are in terms of physically, geographically, where they are, but mm. where they are in their lives too, mm. because an 18 year old will be looking for something quite different to mm. someone who's perhaps returned to 
study in their in their mid 30s even though those two individuals those two students may well be um, on the same program of study so i think that we've got to be a, a accommodating and understand and provide solutions to all of our learners really no, i agree i think i really like that actually the communicating you know getting to them and reaching them where they are like because we talk a lot about that in in brand and marketing like trying to reach the customer in the moment you know that's much more powerful than trying to reach them in the future or you know in the past it's much more it's going to be more impactful if it's in the moment absolutely um, and, I, and i really agree with that theory um and that, that kind of um you know concludes everything and yeah I, I think it's been a really great chat um guy and thank you so much for um joining us on the on the podcast today it's been great it's been a pleasure having you thank you zina you know being um interviewed is is never easy um <laughs> And being being interviewed when we're sort of thirteen hours time changer, it's been a challenge challenge for both of us. But I'm very proud to have um, contributed to the Brands Education podcast and seeing what what people think about our, our discussion. So it's been wonderful, Zena. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you so much for listening to the Brand Education Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Please do leave us a review, tag us on LinkedIn. Please also share it with colleagues across the sector. We're always interested in hearing your feedback. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again and see you next time.